and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Angley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Ryan, it's great to talk to you today. Great to talk to you today as well. And today we are picking up another of our uh, our series of... Uh, our, of <laughs> so, this is interesting. I've now, now, I've now caught myself. I had, I, had a smooth, I had a smooth intro to this, but I've caught myself here because we always do the double... Right, right, right. We do the we do the famous, we do the the more well known Freud essay, and then the lesser one. And this one, as you can tell from the title, it's an essay called "Creative Writers and Daydreaming." Um, and I uh, I just got caught because uh, I was thinking I was going to call it like what is this a duology? And then this is one of our things that has come out from this is that one of the things that Freud often uh, gets he convinces himself of is that uh, psychoanalytic theory is a is a, is a dualistic theory, which we right. are adamant that it, it is not. So then I thought I could. Well, so is it a? So are we doing a dialectical duology? I think it is Freud? dialectical, and, actually. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably it. So, yeah. the, so this is another another installment of our dialectical duology uh, through uh, Freud's uh, writings, and um, this essay uh, is really interesting because it uh, is sourced from a uh, lecture he gave to an audience of non specialists, and so this is uh, a crucial piece of information that'll uh, come up a couple different times because it will explain. Um, some of the ways that he uh, talks about certain concepts in psychoanalysis. And it is, uh, again, to be like, to be dialectical about it, the occasion speaking to a popular audience, I think uh, is part of what makes it such an interesting uh, yeah. and, and engaging piece. But it is also something that uh, holds it back in, in, in different places um, and maybe convinces him to say some. Uh, to phrase some things in a certain way that conflict a little bit with his wider theory. So this is from uh, uh, 1907 is when he delivered it as a lecture in December. Um, but yeah, so we are we are here to uh, to, to dive into this uh, into this essay. So uh, I just don't normally start this way, but um, what I I picked us to do Uncanny, and this was your pick to pair with it. What was in your head when so, you uh, well yeah I, you made that decision? Yeah, I thought I I really. This is, well, it's both, I think Uncanny, the reason I thought it, of it with Uncanny is because it's also a work that has to do with uh, f- the creation of fiction, just like the, un- you know, the Uncanny mm. is mostly about fiction. So that was the, that was the, that was what drove it. And I've always liked this essay. I teach it a lot. And I think for the, not because of what it has to say about creative writing or art, <laughs> but for what it has to say about fantasy. I think it's pretty mm. good on, so I think there are two basic you would think Freud had all this stuff on fantasy. He actually doesn't. So I think there are two basic essays on fantasy. A child is being beaten and then the, the, the creative writers and daydreaming essay. And I those, to me, to my thinking, those go deepest into the description of how fantasy works. And one of the things that they both have in common, I, actually it's not true. I think in the, day, in the, in the child is being, beat, being beaten essay, there is a sense that a certain part of the fantasy is unconscious. Yes. But here, and that essay is later, here that you don't get that sense at all. So it's just, and in fact, yeah. you pointed out to me that the one time he uses the word unconscious in the essay, he's just talking about someone who is not awake. Not Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. it's not about the unconscious at all, which is yeah. funny. Uh, and I think that maybe speaks to the popular audience dimension, or maybe not. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I think the way that Freud talks about fantasy throughout here there's no sense of an unconscious dimension to what he's talking about. It's as if we 
construct, we just have these conscious ideas and we construct our fantasy and that's what, that's what it is. And I think mm-hmm. the problem is that he, you know, he says, one of the nice points he makes, I think, is that if we, and this is, he thinks this is a problem for understanding creative writing or, or any kind of artistic creation that employs fantasy. He says, if we reveal our fantasies to people, it's un- it's uncomfortable both for us and for the other people. They're like, okay, this this <laughs> gesture of TMI. That's when someone starts to tell you their fantasy life. You're that's the first. You're like, okay, I don't want to hear that. Uh, and Freud's like, it makes un- other people uncomfortable. It makes you feel like you're revealing too much. But I think, why would that be if the fantasy wasn't in some way unconscious? Right, like mm. if it was just a, mm-hmm. a conscious fantasy, then I think it wouldn't be disturbing to reveal it. So, it's funny, and it's that's something he says in the essay where he's. It seems to me like suggesting that the fantasy has its roots in the unconscious, but then he doesn't ever describe that at all and acts as if we're just consciously constructing it. Yeah, no, that, it's it's interesting. I mean it. I mean, this is going to be our, our major point of departure and something we're going to come back to a lot about how this uh, essay figures fantasy. And uh, it's it does seem like it's... it's uh, Okay, so the process that he ascribes to creative writing and daydream, it's like, it's like it goes like this. The, the creative writer is at, at their desk at a, you know, let's just say at a coffee shop in line waiting for something they're in some moment of uh of, of repose they don't have to be doing something some moment in the day where they neither are, have just done something or are about to do something right let's just put it put it like that like something physical or, or requiring their full conscious attention and their mind drifts to some sort of idea and in in, in in this they're they're imagining not what is uh, but what isn't, what could be, what might be, and arrest that kind of uh, distortion of the immediate and turn that into some kind of fiction. That's that's That seems to be the idea. Is, I think that's the idea. Right. Yeah, and I, I just think... Um, this would be. I'm going to phrase this in a way that that that, that you you would. Um, I, that just can't be his idea. <laughs> I, I I think I think it, it it I think it is. It's of course what he says. You right. know. So that's the thing. It's of course what he says because of the. I think where, where the audience that he's delivering this uh, you know, speech, this this lecture unto, but it just it can't be the idea. I think it has to be. I, but I do think he gives you the. I think that the so I put it this way. I think the content is bad, but I think the form is yeah. is worth is worth grappling with, and I think that's that's where the the truth is, if you like, because this is how this is what from this essay how I think it works is that the the um the the some the because he he also says that um and and this is really I think really really great is that um creative writing is, is such that for a writer to explain their process to us to to illuminate how they create the worlds that they make will not make us creative writers right like it 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 just it, it does not have that that function um there's a whole thing i want to do on this uh, related to the um the strikes in hollywood but that's too too it's too soon for that right now um but 
the what 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 I what I think is more, and this I, I said to you um, when we were planning the episode that it's more as it's more like the you the creative writer through some unconscious fantasy puts themselves in situations where they experience something that is at least like minimally off kilter. I would phrase it just a little bit, and this is where I, I like the connection to the to the uncanny. I would maybe just minimally uncanny. It's just it's just a little bit outside of a, a normative way that, of going through the day or a, or a normative way of orienting yourself to other people in the social or things that you have to do. And through this, at least minimally different from a rigidly like un, unthought and normative path through the day, something occurs to the person who is uh, the, the creative writer that th- that makes them think, huh, this could be a good example. This could be this could be a good fodder for something I write. And 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 that that I think it ha- like that I, I think m- more consistent with other things Freud writes. That that kind of has to be the the formula for this is that the the unconscious fantasy that everyone has it puts you in positions that are different from other people. And like, and, and this is the same, it's not, this isn't just special for creative writers. Everyone is like this. Right. And I think this is why this is once you want to make this your, your ultimate point is that, uh, Freud kind of says at the, at the end of this essay that everyone has the capacity to be a creative writer. And, uh, I, uh, I don't want to take, I don't want to take your line. What's your, what's your, uh, rejoinder to, to yeah, this, I just this, don't this think point. that's true. <laughs> I mean, like, thank God certain people aren't trying, like, including me, aren't trying mm-hmm. to write something, you know, like, I think it's really hard that what he calls in this essay the Ars Poetica, right? Like that, I don't think that is widely given out by the creator. Mm. I, I think that it's a, I think it's a, it's a, because it's a certain way, I think you're right to say it's a certain way of paying attention. And maybe, maybe it's a way, okay, there's, there's a whole there are other things I want to get to, but maybe it's a way of paying attention to how, and I think this is what you're getting at, the art, one's own fantasy is disjunct relative mm, to the social nice. reality. And I think yeah. that's, and again, that is, it, or or it's paying attention to the unconscious, which he doesn't, again, mention in this essay, paying attention right. to the unconscious in a way that other people are not. And I, so I think that's, mm-hmm. those are two things. I, I think that the, the well, essay- t- t- If I could yeah. just, if I yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. interrupt on this point, it's, it's like being, I would say this, it's like being an analyst in the world. Like, because exactly. that's the whole, exactly. that's the whole thing is that you, that's the whole, that's the whole thing that, that I, that I think is like, so this was your, this is what you said to me. This was the, the, the point that I would, uh, that I, that I liked so much is that like, not that everyone can be, not that everyone can be an analyst, but like everyone can be a theorist, Yeah, but not a creative writer. Not a creative but, and writer. And so I, yeah. and so I think this, like, you know, being a, you know, being a, like a, looking at like people I do this all the time like I don't I don't know when I first started to pay attention to this but for some reason I'm I always pay attention to people's hands I feel like it's like the like this tell in social situations yeah good like what 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 is someone doing with their hands and maybe 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 it's because I'm, uh, I'm Italian and my family were always wildly gesticulating I'm just yeah. like in like other and I, like other people are like keeping it close and it's like it's moving or they're scratching at something or they're picking at something at the table or whatever anyway uh, but like this is this this thing, or maybe it's from Sherwood Anderson and from the uh, the, the first the chapter uh, proper chapter hands is the That's reason right. why I started paying yeah. paying attention to this. Um, but for whatever reason, like I think 
I, I imagine most people have something like that, that they pay attention to either when people say a certain thing, look a certain way, have a certain like thing like that they do. And it's like, it's so much easier to see that in another person, especially in a stranger, I would argue, yeah. than it is to see something like revelatory about yourself. And I think that's the, like that, that's the, I don't know. I think that's the, the operation of the, like the, the unconscious and the, and it's like you can, I guess I'll put it this way. Maybe another way of getting at what he tries to get at in this, because like how, cause he does come to this issue is how does someone else's fantasy expressed in fiction make sense to us if it comes from such a personal place? And it must be because the form is similar to our own, right? Like it, it's, it's our own. It's the form of the phantasmatic imagining is, is exactly the same. So, you can notice that in other people and and you would need someone to notice it clearly in you and we can see it when it's in film or when it's in a novel like like that like like because the form is something that is shared even if the content is you know wildly different across uh, it's, a, it's such a great different point iterations yeah i think it's such a great point ryan because I think that that's what makes the difference. This is why we were talking about this, how it's so boring to hear someone else's dream, right? And I think it's yeah. because what they give you is pure content, right? Like, yeah. Okay, this yeah. happened, then this happened, then this happened. They don't say yeah. like, oh, and then there was a nice tracking shot of the... <laughs> <laughs> but even if they said it, it wouldn't help because like the whole joy of watching a tracking shot is watching a tracking shot, not tracking hearing shot. one described. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but I think that's the key point that the, the, that the, the, the knowing how to, or paying attention to the form in which the fantasy is structured rather than just to the content of what's in the fantasy. That yeah. seems to me to be the real ars poetica, the real way that, mm-hmm the artist, the creative artist, even the, even the, the, any kind of the artist, right? Not just the writer is able to move out of the realm of fantasy and move into the, in, into the realm of art. But I think that, I think that's not an ability widely shared, but I think it, 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 it is, I think you're exactly right to say it's the formal consideration. And that's why a great work of art can have the, the most banal content if it gets, mm. you know, if it, it's communicated, like I, I remember when I was taught in graduate school, Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises and a student, he was an older student, kind of a goofy guy. He's dead now, actually. Uh, oh. he, he came to, which is sad, but he was, he, he was older, very much older. And he came to class. He's like, you know, all these people do is sit around and complain and drink all day. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like. Well, I mean, I guess if you're just looking at the content of the novel, that is the content of what happens. Sure, <laughs> but, sure. But I don't know. I felt like it's maybe one of the greatest novels I, as I originally had. I, thought, I don't know. I thought it was one of the greatest novels I ever written, ever, ever read. And 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 he just thought that was ridiculous. But solely because and and what's great about Hemingway, I think, is the. I mean, er, Frederick Jameson says this that that the, all content in Hemingway's novels is there to justify the Hemingway sentence as a form. Mm. That's it's just such a that's great, great point. It's just a great point. Yeah. But that's that ability to turn the, which then Dashiell Hammett developed nicely, uh, that mm. ability to turn the the banal content into the great form. I think that's what the that seems to me the ars poetica. And so the 
the fantasy can be as dull as can be, as long as it has this formal act, or or there's a tension to the form that the fantasy is in, because that might all that might be all it is, right? Like you're you're mm. all, it's already in the form that's compelling. Mm-hmm. You're just paying attention to it. So th- it's on this point. If you set me up for the the Hollywood thing, I think this is exactly what the studios want. The, the opposite. The opposite. They want, they, right. they want the opposite of this, like, exactly. They want they want the form to be banal. This is why that's the whole thing with the AI. Well, so just just for, like, a little bit of, um, I don't know how insider this is, <laughs> the, um, some of the understanding of, of why the writers and the actors are striking against the, against the studios, but just, like, very quickly... Um, well, no, not very quickly. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna promise it that way. Um, whenever there's a new technological jump, there always there will always come a time for a, a new uh, labor agreement in, uh, in in Hollywood. This is when, uh, and it goes back to like when t- when movies were first shown on TV, uh, and when TV first became a thing, that there had to be agreements like new right. agreements with actors like how are people being paid what were they being paid for initially uh television networks would uh they would screen they would uh, show a movie on tv and no one who was in the movie had to be paid for that right be paid royalties for right you know that like and then and the same thing happened with vhs and i think with dvd as well and so now we're in this thing with uh with streaming where uh when the last contracts were agreed uh, original content on st- streaming had not been produced, so now we're in this thing that uh, this this new uh, this this brave new world of what uh, what streaming hath wrought. And one of the things that's really um, productive for streamers and not productive for uh, I don't know film for visual art is the uh, Netflix B minus factory, and <laughs> the this this thing. And it's when people complain, like I, I said this to you, when people complain, like I've seen this sentiment online sometimes that like writer, like, oh, do you see the, do you see the trash that is on TV most of the time? Like, uh, it should, why not have an AI do it? And it's like the studios, the studios want it to be like that. And right. they make it so that like it used, like before streaming writers were on set and they were like they were kind of de facto producers and they would interact with with everybody and now there are fewer writers and they are they they work without really uh interacting with the actors or the directors or anything and so if you watch tv and you feel like the writing is divorced from the talent uh that's in the show like yeah that's that's how it was made it was made that way that's and um writers don't they don't want it this to be the the case any longer but I think studios do want this to be the case because it flattens out the quality. If you, if everything is, is made according to a, like a more, uh, like consistent and art, um, gutting, uh, form, then you eliminate variance in quality. And that's the thing that like, because it's getting so expensive to make TV shows and movies, which again is a choice on behalf of the studios or whether they, they think that or not. Um, th- what what they what they are uh, are interested in is eliminating the variance because they're just because they are fundamentally risk averse. They're conservative in that way. They want the guarantee. And if quality is a threat to the 
Netflix B minus factory. Be, and in fact, and it, it, this you can see this in other industries. Like, I, like the example that I like to give is when the the rise of the DJ in in the United States, like when pop music started yeah. to really become a thing in the fifties and in the sixties. Like, you also had the rise of the of the disc jockey who became more popular than the radio station. Wolfman Jack. The, Wolfman Jack, who had way more leverage in contract negotiations, he would have he would sink make make a a radio station sink or swim. And that is not what a radio station wants. So why do all radio stations play exactly all the same songs just in a different order? It's that's the reason why you've you're eliminating this like you're eliminating exactly what Freud is talking about in this essay, which is the reason why I wanted to bring it up. You're eliminating the you're, you're trying to actually the, the the fantasy, the phantasmatic form, this this uh, this this idea of uh, like like a rupture that emerges from a writer's room from like this, this, this alchemy between writers, actors, directors, producers, the, 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 the editor, the, the makeup person, the, you know, casting, like all the people that are involved, all the people involved in a movie who you walk out when their names are on the screen, all, all that whole alchemy, like that is threatening to the studio because they can't control for it. And it's like, and and I think that that I this would be my my one sentence thing on this is I think these strikes are this maybe makes it too grandiose because obviously a lot of these people are very rich, but you're also striking for the person who is not very rich in these industries. But I I think this is nothing. This is nothing less than trying to preserve uh, fantasy in uh, the one of the most popular forms of art. That's what that's that's what I wow. Okay, good. I'm on the side of the writers too, except. My slight wish, <laughs> no, I'm just, this is a joking wish, is that the yeah. strike just goes on infinitely and those other people get other good jobs, but that we're forced truly to watch. Truly independent, Todd, truly independent. That'd be great, okay. And yeah. we're forced yeah. to watch, Hollywood has to only just re-release the classic Hollywood films and then we get to watch Korean and Iranian <laughs> films at the theater all the time. That would be, that's that's my little fantasy. But uh, I, I, you know, I think your point's real, I'm kidding. Your point's really good though that, I, I mean, my, I'm just making a comment on the contemporary situation in American cinema. Uh, also, that would be good for a little while, don't you think? I don't know. I, I don't think you you have to be totally kidding. You could be half kidding. I'm half kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yes. I actually, I think that, I, I do, I mean, my belief is that Iran and Korea, right now, South Korea, obviously, uh, are the greatest sites of cinematic production. So, I, mm. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, do. I, I, I wish that those films were, you could go see them on a on a big screen. That'd be pretty cool. Although there'd be some kind of uh, uh, copyright problem coming out of Iran, I know yeah, that because well, they can they they freely. Uh, somebody has translated a couple of my books into Persian, and they're like, "I'm like, do we have to get?" And they're like, "Don't worry about the copyright. Our country doesn't give." <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're not they're not cu- there's yeah. no like reciprocal agreement. So I'm sure that's right, true with right. film too. Obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or maybe they get some kind of French production company to. To, to usher to it into, yeah, that Got must it. be what happened, distri- distributing company or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I think that the you know Freud's the the point the point is that the form of the fantasy is the thing that has to be preserved, and I think that's what again the formal consideration is what separates the artist from the non-artist and and the the creative writer from the non-creative writer. So I think that's mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. and I think that again the strike your point about the strike is really illustrative of that because it shows how for the sake of 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 the bottom line i think there's something threatening about phantasmatic 
or artistic form because mm-hmm. it, 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 it allows us to see that not all things are created equal are, are artistically. Yeah. And so right. then, then you can't, then all of a sudden you don't, you can't just regurgitate the same thing. You, there has to be a, there has to be a certain kind of attention to the, the formal, the aesthetic quality of the thing. And I think that's what, uh, if you're just looking at to, to earn, money then you you want the least discriminating public you can possibly produce absolutely and if everything is made that way you've created that less discriminating public you you think you can do that right that 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 ignores right and then and then they can say to themselves oh it's but it's more democratic this is what i like but of course it's just because this is a kind of silly frankfurt school point you know (laughs) if you're just if you're constantly fed a bunch of crap you'll become you'll start to think that crap is what you like and i think that i think in this case that that's that's really true that that, yeah well yeah go ahead that example that example i gave you all the all the coffee in claremont is terrible but someone has to be the best at making coffee in claremont yeah so someone's making the best coffee so that's what like i that's the so but even having be- it, even having it all be crappy, I think is a is a, it's fascinating. I think that is a that is something that capitalism relies on. Yeah, you know, I because be. I think that there's this notion that oh no, it's competition to make the best. Well, I don't. Mm. I mean, I don't. I I think that in order to make to sustain profitability, there has to be this sustaining of the mediocre, right? I don't think yeah. that there. So I think that that. I think Freud, that he's not, ta- obviously he doesn't talk about socioeconomy in this or political economy in this essay, but I think he's, he does point to how that would be the case because of this attention to the phantasmatic form, right? That he, right. that he thinks has to be, that that's what is, is essential to this creation of the work of art. Mm, yeah. It's even like, even in, even in conversations that are uh, uh, like about popular media, like just think about it like this, you, you start to understand why the studios are doing this. And, and obviously that, that understanding doesn't make you any more sympathetic to their plight, but just remember when, don't you remember when uh, Sopranos and the wire ended and it, and sex in the city, I think all around the same time mm-hmm. and people were, the conversation was what's HBO going to do now. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. and then game of Thrones came and then Game of Thrones ended, and it's like, what's HBO going to do now? And then Succession came, and now that you know they've got Last of Us, but like that, I think they're probably going to get three seasons out of two video games. That's not very, it's not nearly as long as Sopranos, which was six seasons. Wire was five. I mean, Succession was four. Uh, the, the Game of Thrones obviously much longer, and has spawned a spinoff, whatever. But like, like so that that's like a, that's where quality becomes a barrier to sustaining right. the identity right. of the company. That's like that. And that's, that's, they aren't going to say this because like it, everyone would be like, screw you, just make, just invest in making better things then. But it's because to the studio, to the executive, it might as well be magic. Why something is popular right. and good. Right. Cause they don't, cause this, because you know what it is. It dramatizes this tension between the non-creative writer and the creative writer. You know, like the the no one no one becomes an executive because they're they could also write that which they are the executive of. They're, right, because I think that's absolutely right. Because you don't want to, you wouldn't want to waste your time with that, right? Like that's the no. that's the no. essential thing. It's I I when I, as we're talking about this, I just think of David Lynch, right? Because like he is the mm. perfect embodiment 
of what Freud's talking about. And he lived yeah. or lived, he's still alive, but he lived his aesthetic career in absolute tension with the people in charge of the money, right? Like just yeah. an absolute, the one time, I mean, Dune was the time he got the most money in his career, not adjusted right. for inflation, which is fascinating since Dune was 1984. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then it then never got that money again. But always problems mm-hmm. like Twin Peaks. He's forced mm-hmm. to end it uh, or solve Laura Palmer's murder when he didn't want to. Uh, the, the one time I was thinking where he didn't is Mel Brooks hired him in 1981 to do Elephant Man. And that's oh, yeah. one where I think he kind of got he that was a major studio production. You know, he did mm-hmm. what he wanted to do. I, that, so that that sets a second feature after Eraserhead. I think that was one where. You got this, and it that that I mean, Eraserhead is much more a, a <laughs> his own crazy fantasy structure that then undergoes like he pays attention to the form, and so the film is so formally fascinating. I mean, it's much even more than and the content is incredible too, but the form of it mm-hmm. is so great because that's what Lynch that was his that's what he does. I mean, that's why as a creative filmmaker. Right, like that. It's I think a, film yeah. film about being a being. It's a film about family, Todd. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If anyone says like we need more films about family values, well, that's the one. Yes. Show, show them a racer. You should head. watch a racer head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Someone someone wrote me an email and said, um, you know, aren't there like good things about. Uh, something and can't, why don't we talk about good things like about fan like fan like the way babies are loved by the, in their family and i was like okay that's important yeah but but i thought i immediately thought of eraser head yeah like here's yes. the real love for the baby <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um just a film film about being a daddy i film think about that being this a dad, is a yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is um this is this is really good though like at this at this point because it's so you can see Again, this is what's like, this is what's implicit in in the essay. But but we're just we're talking about this in this moment where you see this like this tension between the creative writers on one hand and the the industry on the other. But the, I think Freud provides another answer for for why there is this uh, this tension. Uh, the there is of course the like the uh, the you know the the Marxist analysis dimension of like the industry exists because of the lower paid creative right. writers and right. not sure. because of the high paid executives. No, I but think that's absolutely true. Yeah. It's totally, I think it's totally true. Yeah. But I also think, um, psychically is this point that Freud makes, which is that creative writing and creative, creative writing and daydreaming to, uh, to state the title. Um, it has its roots in childhood play. Yeah, and and the and the childhood play of and the and, and the play fantasies that children engage in, that you know be, be, become the like the formal basis for the generating of, uh, you know, ultimately like like fictional material uh, later as an adult. Like I do think there is this this tension that like again, no one, no Bob Iger at Disney is not going to consciously say this, but like. I, I'm sure on some level he thinks you people are just playing make believe. Well, I think that's more. I think that's exactly right. I think that there's this people, th- and I think that's the critique, not just of, I think that's the, not the critique of the executive at the studio, but also of the critique of the fan of the sports 
figure, right? Yeah, like sure, you're sure, just sure. still, you still get to play this thing that we all got to play when we were young. You just, you're it's still get game, to play yeah. make believe like we did when we were young. I think that's, mm-hmm. that, that seems to be one of the main objections to that kind of thing. What's interesting is we pay it pretty, I mean, not all writers obviously are paid well and, and not all actors are paid well. In fact, many are paid terribly and the ones that are paid really well are functioning as a, this is a different essay by Freud, but are functioning as a <laughs> fetish to cover yeah. over the actors that aren't paid so well. I, I saw, mm-hmm. I, I like Matt Damon fine, but I saw a disgusting interview with, with oh, okay. Chris Wallace and him. Did you see this? No, I haven't seen it. No. Okay. So Chris, Wall, it Chris Wallace was interviewing him yeah. and he, Matt Damon has clearly let Chris Wallace know this ahead of time that he turned oh, okay. down Avatar and, and Cameron offered him points on Avatar because he had a prior commitment to one of these born films. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Damon and, and Chris Wallace is like, how much did you lose? And Damon's like, well, I calculated it and it was $250 million. And, and then they go, they're like, Ooh, Chris Wallace is like, I bet you would have knowing that you would have found time to make. And, and I just thought, wouldn't the answer be like, I was thinking of this great line from, from Chinatown where, Jack Nicholson says to to John Houston, he's like, he's like, how much are you worth? And then he's like, why are you doing all this? And he goes, how much better could you eat? And I just thought, yeah, what did yeah. why, why didn't Damon say that back to Chris Wallace? Like, how much better could I eat if I had this other yeah. two hundred and fifty million? It just wasn't. I mean, Damon is supposedly a leftist, and again, I like him fine, but I just thought that was fascinating. That that was such a contemporary it's i think it's contemporary capitalists like i don't think yeah, yeah i think like 30 years ago an actor wouldn't have said that i also don't think george clooney would have said that but um mm. he 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 just there was just no question that having that additional 250 million would have been so great and i just yeah it just was mind-boggling to me but well, i that, think that's that, a, isn't yeah, that a good that's a good just a side point like but that's a great example like that's a great example of ideology, not in the statement, but in the unquestioned value in the interview and in the people watching of that amount of money being a, just an un, unmitigated good. That would, that's, that's, that's a, a nice example of, of ideology uh, like that supporting this, this uh, veneration. Absolutely. Of, of, of Absolutely. wealth. Yeah. But then, yeah. but then I think, I mean, Damon has rightly been on the, on the, picket line although i think that's a questionable thing don't you like like if they're not there i mean it's they're in an impossible position because if they're not there people are like where are those really well-paid <laughs> right. guys and if they're there and like they why do they there. need to be there why do they yeah exactly yeah, so yeah, it's an yeah, impossible yeah. position but i do think that they are the reason why the strike it, it, it's not going to be resolved quickly because mm-hmm. they're the, the like it's hard to mobilize public opposition against the studios when you the, the the figures that we most see are these these actors that are paid so much so incredible amounts of money right like yeah, i think it yeah. does it's not like it, it, it's not like a seeing a strike at the newspaper or seeing a strike you know at the at the, at the even at the west school virginia, right west i was just going to say west virginia teachers yeah, was, yeah, you know a few yeah, years back that even yeah. got the the support of the the right in, in West Virginia. Yeah. 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 It's just different, I think. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I have to go, even I have to go through a little two step and go, okay, it's just, it's, they're not, he, they're not the ones that are st- striking. 
It's the, the right. other. Yeah, people even, that I are even straight. said that like twenty minutes ago. Yeah, like I yeah. did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. They're they're the fa- they're the face of it, and it's the you know the the bulk of the people you never heard of. That's who it's being. Yeah, uh, I know I know people out there like from who've graduated from Pomona or uh, University of Rhode Island who no one has ever heard of, who, and they're trying to you know start in the industry in that like right the, right. It's impossible to make know? it right right. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And but I, it but is this. It's the, ch- the isn't it the play? Well, I, I was going to say I don't know how you were going to take this back, but like isn't it the it's I, I think it's the play aspect that just it all seems like even if you're breaking into this this industry like it all just seems like it's like such a tremendous luxury. I, I agree. To, uh, and I think that's why yeah. people say, well, even if you're not making anything, it's still any, any amount you make is, is, is just bonus because you're doing this. You're getting to play your whole, your whole right. life. Right. I think that, so again, yeah. I think it, I think Freud nicely gets at that. Uh, what would you call it? Like unconscious, really this, this, this venom that's driven by this unconscious idea that, People are that mm. they're still playing, right? Like that's and that's that association is really, I think, really rubs people the wrong way. Although, although on the other hand, there's this massive identification with those figures, which is why they have the amount of money that they have, the the famous yeah. ones, right? <laughs> it is funny, no, and it has to. Well, and that I mean, that's the I mean, I think that's the point. That's the dialectical point. It has to function on that line. The like the only reason why there is that much venom is because there is that much veneration. Right from right, like you, you, you really like, and the the one comes out of the other. It's not they're not they're not like I, I know people like to do the two sides of the same coin sort of thing, but it's not. It's like if the two sides of were one side of that's a, right. Like it's a great point. You know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's how that's how you have to how you have to think about it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. It's, it's no, it's just interesting. Like I mean, we like when we when we plan this when we plan this. I don't think the actors had had gone on strike yet and I had, I didn't have it in my head yet, but it was just like all this week, like this has just been, I've just been thinking about this. I was like, it's not, it's just so funny. It's not in the, it's just not in the content of Freud's essay, but it like the, this whole thing, like it lays out, it lays out why, why there is this difference and why, especially on the, from the studio heads of this, like replacing creative writing with like AI generated, uh, you know, content, like why there is that tension. And then I also think like extracting from the, like, the lay person and the creative writer, why there would be this, like this, uh, like this extolling of the, of the virtues of the, of, of the, of the writer, then also the venom that they're, they're not doing real work. Right. You know, like right. I, I just, I kind of, I think it's all, I think the, the, um, what I want to say, the shell of all of this is here in this, in this essay. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I think too, that Freud does a really good job of saying, well, he does a good job, and then I think he misses it on this other thing. But I think he does. He's trying to talk about why the fantasy has the structure it has, right? Mm-hmm. And then he 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 does a little, which is fine. I think it's just historical uh, sexist discrimination between discrimination is not the right word there. Um, distinction between uh, the fantasies of of young younger boys and and, and girls, right? And his mm-hmm. idea is mm-hmm. that that the the male fantasy is is always an ambitious fantasy and that the female fantasy is always a romantic fantasy right so in other words he's saying guys like action films girls like romantic comedies right like that's his that's his basic take uh but then i think he does a great freud thing which is i think a lot of times when you think freud is 
painted himself into a very, very sexist corner, like the concept of like phallus or whatever. He yeah. he ends up twisting it totally around. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Now I see that his, he's actually making the opposite point. And here he says this, it's this fascinating line. So he's talking about this is, he, got, he, he says, there's these, we could say there's these two totally opposite trends. And he says, I would rather emphasize the fact that they are often united. And this is how he puts mm-hmm. it. He says, just as in many altarpieces, the portrait of a donor is to be seen in the corner of the picture, so in the majority of ambitious fantasies, that is of the male type, we can discover in some corner or other the lady for whom the creator of the fantasy performs all his heroic deeds and at, and at whose feet all his triumphs are laid. And so I was thinking, what he's trying <laughs> to say really is that pretty women and die hard are basically the same film because everything <laughs> that Bruce will, and this is absolutely true in Die Hard, everything mm-hmm. that Bruce Willis does, all these heroic deeds, blah, 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 is all done for Bonnie Badia, Holly Gennaro, who become, and yeah. it's so much so that she becomes, re-becomes Holly McLean at the end of the Holly film. Holly McLean at the end of the movie. She yeah. gives up her maiden name and, and takes on her back, her married name, which she shouldn't have ever taken in the first place. But, uh, uh, and nonetheless, that's what that's what happened. So I think that the thinking of those two films together, one as like uh chick flick, other as guy, there should be an equivalent mm-hmm. guy term. I don't think there is, but uh uh guy doesn't it doesn't I, that expose the misogyny? It does it does, it does, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. Uh but I think that that's the that like Freud his point is really great that that what seems like this radical opposition. It's rather mm-hmm. just two different ways of going after the same thing in the fantasy, right? Like every, right. what he's saying is every fantasy is a romantic comedy, right? There's no, every action film is just a disguised romantic comedy. And I think that's pretty great because, and again, I think we can see how Hollywood completely violates this fantasy structure because Hollywood puts so much, for Hollywood, the romantic comedy, oh, we'll make those, but we know that only women are going to go to those, so they right. we're not going to get as much of a return. Whereas their idea is that if we make a film for 13-year-old boys, that's going to bring in everyone because right. women will come yeah. along with their dates to go see it. And so, that, I mean, that is their, their, their platonic ideal of a spectator is the 13-year-old boy. And I think that that... <laughs> I mean, it's not. I'm not making this up. I think up. you're this right. Is, no, this I think is you're absolutely right. I true. Think you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, and so, but but it's but what they don't get is this idea from Freud. I think, which is like, no, what they really yeah. should be making are much more romantic comedies, maybe serious, few serious romances thrown in, but not too many. Uh, and then and then that really is what actually speaks to everyone. Yeah. No, it's really good. I mean, I think it's really nice to take that from the like if you if you read the if you read the beginning of that. Uh, of that point where he talks about it, you think that he's making a point no more complicated than what Mattel executives think, (laughs) you know? Um, But in, in, but he instead absolutely like he, he undermines that, that expectation. He does it another place in the essay that, that um, I think this also is a nice uh, corollary to the uncanny where he says, um, uh, he says this, uh, if, I'm just going to read kind of a paragraph, so it'll be a little bit, a little bit longer. Um, uh, but you will ask if people make such a mystery of their fantasizing, how is it that we know such a lot about it? Well, there is a class of human beings upon whom not a god, not a god indeed, but a stern goddess, 
which is just interesting from him based yeah. on the last thing we said. Uh, necessity has allotted the task of telling what they suffer and what things give them happiness. These are the victims of nervous illness who are obliged to tell their fantasies, among other things, to the doctor by whom they expect to be cured by mental treatment. This is our best source of knowledge, and we have since found good reason to suppose that our patients tell us nothing that we might not also hear from healthy people. I love that. That's great. I think that's I think that's really, really great. It, it's again, it's like back to the um, the uh, is it the nor- normal people are only normal on average. Uh, right. normality is an ideal fiction. This, like this whole thing, like, like, like he says that in almost is, every place he writes, right? That's why almost people yeah. that talk about psychoanalysis often will say n- normal neurotic, right? Like they're just, <laughs> the, the mm. terms are almost synonymous for Freud. Yeah. It's, and it's, um, it's just really, it's really interesting. Like, like this is, this is, this is why, I mean, it's, it's, it's stuff like this, like why we always insist on the, like the, the dialectical thrust of, of psychoanalysis and even what, what Freud is doing. Cause like, even when he, you think he's giving you a binary, like in the example you gave, yeah. there is this, there is actually this, this dialectical core, this thread, this, di- this diagonal line that actually uh, connects the, the, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and, and because each again, is split is, from within, right? I mean, that's the, that's right. the point, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that, and it's on that axis that the, the the that the the connection between people can even happen, yeah, and 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 that there can even be a, a social in the first place, uh, yeah, is yeah, it's on it's on it's on that it's on that split it's on that 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 basis and then and the other you know the um and the other stuff like the you know he says I I, I haven't said this before but but I, I don't you think you know he says like the that that um psychoanalysis and like shows us that um that everyone is uh like uh, is, is is bisexual don't you think that if he had if he had pansexual as a phrase don't you think he would have said that like I, like i think that's what his i think that's his his take like that i think that's where he he would have been and and i think that there's just like a i think there's just an a, like the 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 industry the industry <laughs> the like um i don't even know what to say it but like the compensatory industry to to make him just seem like the Mattel executive, I think is, uh, I don't know. I, it's in I, what I, sense. More, what do you more, mean? I'm not following you. What do you mean? Like, like, Oh, I just mean to make the, him a heterosexist. Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah. I just, I think that it's, I mean, more people under our, our, our understanding. I mean, people listen to the show. Like I, I think under like understand that this, uh, this dimension in his, uh, in his thinking. Um, but it's like, I just think it's there. It's, 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 it's everywhere. I mean, it's even in this, even in this essay that is ostensibly about creative writing. You have for those, sure, those little, for sure. You know, right. Right. I think yeah. that's absolutely right. Like, I mean, I think you're the, the thing you pointed to of the blurring of the distinction between normal and neurotic is incredibly important. And then I think the blurring of the distinction between what he sees as the predominant male or female fantasy structure. I think it's, that's incredibly important. And I think it, it, it suggests that there's a kind of, uh, uh, what would you call it? Like a, a kind of, uh, I mean, I think that's what he's getting at with the term bisexuality, right? Like, yeah. or, or like yeah, a yeah. Pa- fact that the th- there's a kind of openness to, yes. that there's not, you can't really, that where you want to see this radical divide, each is going into the other. So that, yes. so that the, the, the woman has to desire as a man, the man has to desire as a woman, the person that doesn't, 
feel either one has to desire in some way that they're not. I mean, I think that's the yeah. the point. Yeah. Like like no one just is what they what their identity or what their even what their sexual position says that they are, right? Like I think that's his yeah. I think that's his point in all of this. I think you know though I just want to get to a thing that really a couple points where I feel like he Look, I think this essay is great and 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 even incredible in what it gets to. But I feel like there's mm-hmm. a couple things where he's just—I'm not sure that he's right about about first about like the way narrative works, and then about—and I think you have a point about this—and then about yeah. the way that fantasy works. So about narrative, mm-hmm. he he. This is if you're in—is uh, it volume nine in the standard edition? I think it is. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, it's volume nine. So this is on page 150 of volume nine of the standard edition. Uh, he says, he talks about the way in which the whole narrative always centers around the invulnerability of his majesty, the ego. That's the hero alike of every daydream and every story. So he thinks that sure. you, you construct a story around the solidity of the ego, and then you build up this through the series of heroic gestures you build up this ego. And I want to just, I immediately thought here of the line that we both love from Hitchcock so much that the villain makes the picture, right? Like the villain, it's not the ego that makes the picture. It's the villain. It's it's Hans Gruber that makes the picture. It's not, it's not John McClane. And I think that that's, uh, I don't think Freud gets that here. And I wonder, we always say this kind of thing, but I wonder (laughs) if this was 1922 instead of 1902, Seven nineteen oh eight. If that's different, because there, yeah. of course, I'm making it after the discovery of of Death Drive, and I wonder if if that, mm. if you could integrate the idea of Death Drive into creative writing, and then maybe this centering everything around the ego that ceases to be such an important thing for Freud. Yeah, it's the it's the same thing. It's so interesting. Like, again, one of the things that we point out with this is that like where when he when he drifts when he, like i think when he when he drifts into into the dialectical core of what he is talking about there is this like this compensatory this like kind of whiplash to let's go back to to the kind of dualism which i think is is that it's actually it's all of those moments yeah. that supports the like the heterosexist like right, uh, right, and, right. you know it misogynist uh, yeah. and, and you know whatever like version of freud that is some sometimes operative in the public imagination but um the the so what you have here and so i'm going to do i'm actually i'm actually going to do the dualism here because like freud sustains it he should like you said this a long time ago once he discovers death drive he should have written a book called the interpretation of the nightmare right. or at least, right. or at least the nightmare should yeah. have had some, because he, you know, added all these notes to everything he wrote. The nightmare should have been added as a note to interpretation of dreams, like and what what's there. And I don't know if this was a thing that he would have added a note to, but like, I, I agree. Like surely the, like the villain, like even if he wanted to, even if he wanted to like, he he clearly is a reader. Like he clearly reads like like uh, serials in in the newspaper. I'm sure he read like, uh, you know, like early ish like uh, um like, okay, so hero hero and villain things like just like again like heroic acts, not like superheroes because that's the, that's he's too early for that. But things where people act in that in that. What manner, about King right? John I mean, like, and Ivan? He read Ivanhoe. I know. 
What about there King John yeah, and okay. Ivanhoe? Like, so e- even if he wanted to, even if he wanted to throw to to, to lash a, a dualism in there, like I, I think after Death Drive, it would have made sense for him to say that like the uh, the hero has a masochistic uh, primary a a, a a prior masochism in the relationship toward the villain because the things that they do don't they don't they don't they sustain the villain like the thing ever the act of the, like like batman and the joker is just a great it's a great example the, right. like I'm, I'm sure there are you know runs in different comics that i'm not thinking of where he does where maybe he does succeed in killing the joker but like that's not the point of their relationship the point of their relationship actually is play almost like childhood play right. it's to it's it's to sustain that that pleasure. So like, I mean, he, I mean, he could have even in a dualistic way done like the villain is sadistic and, and the, the, the hero is masochistic and because they don't ever, you know, right. get rid of that tension from the outside. Again, that's not dialectical enough for my purposes, but like you could, you could see him. Right. Like writing about well, something like that. Isn't just, the most obvious one. Iago. Like, like yes. it's so clear yeah. that Iago is what makes Othello is the primary reason we're interested in Othello. And yeah. it's not about the, the the ego of Othello being sustained, no. right? It's about no. this fascinating villain who makes the picture. I just think like yeah. there's 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 no sense of that destructiveness that we're drawn to in the narrative. Like, yeah. and I wonder, I wonder if that's also one of the reasons why we're not, we don't like people telling us their dreams because they narrate mm-hmm. out precisely this destructive aspect that that is the thing that makes it interesting in the first place. I mean, I think all we said about form was right, but I think this has to do with it as well. Like you don't get this. There's a kind of, I think there almost is a, that every recounting of a dream is a narcissistic act. Right. And I think it's because what you don't get is precisely this death drive aspect of it, this destructive Mm -hmm. This thing that actually is at, out there to in every dream that you have is out, especially the nightmare, is out there to destroy the ego, not to build it up. Right. Yeah, and it's in through the destruction is how it, it, is how it, 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 it there is more. Right. That's right. Like it, it's not That's right. a. It's, it's right. not. It's not a. It never is a zero sum. No. Thing. Right. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's always yeah. it is always uh, it is always additive. Like that's the that's the thing. Like the negativity is always additive. Like that's like I mean I, I know that 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 puts that statement is is at odds with a lot of like very well read people who write on the drive. You know I think Lee Edelman being like chief among them who like insist purely on the the negativity. But I just like I just I think it ha- like it, that has to be uh, obs- uh, the 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 way that the the um the drive and its negativity is um and I, I maybe you can help me find another word that doesn't sound so capitalistic but is productive is well how about this like, how about a term from hegel it's a determinate negation yeah right? it's nice. a the drive yeah, is yeah. a determinate negation and i yeah. think that i think you're right that's against a certain kind of reading of lacan that's um prevalent today but i think i mean that's the i think that's the hegelian idea of 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 death drive that it's a determinate mm. negation that because there what could a what would a non-determinate negation be i don't know I, I don't know what that even would yeah. look like but uh yeah yeah i don't know i think so i think that's really really important that 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 i that that's what that's what compels our interest in a in a narrative 
is mm. precisely this dimension of the negative and not mm-hmm. this building up of the of the oh, I mean he really has a buildings roman but I mean I in his head I think here but I think yeah. even even in a buildings roman it's the, it's still the villain still makes the the novel right like it's not right. uh it's not that the that you're just so focused on the on the hero he, like he read he read all of dickens i mean we should know i know i know he, i know yeah. i know yeah. it, like who's the most we could just go through them right like who's mm-hmm. the most memorable character from david copperfield it's uriah heep who's the most memorable character from oliver twist it's fagin right like we could just go right yeah. we yeah. can go right down the line right so it's mm-hmm. it's I, I think dickens is a great example of, well, and of, even it, even in your Dickens example that you just did, it is the same thing as the Othello, where it's the like it's the I mean to to maybe make make a Derrida make a, a point that he, he wouldn't have made, but it's it's the supplement, right? right? Like right, the, the, the right. you see you see that the the you you would think perhaps on first blush that these these people are just trying to take down the named character, and right. they're just like they're just in the way, and they have to be like overcome. But like they're the whole reason why anything happens, and like he 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 does, like he does kind of he does get this, but all but but on the um, on the po- on, on almost on the, like on the positive side of it, it's really funny because he's got this section that I like that you know each, uh, uh one feature. So this is on this is the paragraph. The, uh, this is earlier in the paragraph that you read the end from. Okay, right. And it's just so, it's really interesting. One feature, uh, above all, cannot fail to strike us about the creations of these story writers. Each of them has a hero who is the center of interest, for whom the writer tries to win our sympathy by every possible means, and whom he seems to place under the protection of a special providence, capital P. If at the end of one chapter of my story, I leave the hero unconscious and bleeding from severe wounds, I am sure to find him at the beginning of the next, being carefully nursed and on the way to recovery. And if the first volume closes with the ship he is in going down in a storm at sea, I am certain at the opening of the second volume to read of his miraculous rescue, a rescue without which the story could not proceed. Now, uh, in contemporary terms, people call this plot armor and they <laughs> right, contest right. it. Um, but, but anyway, but he goes on to, to uh, kind of justify this. Uh, well, for I mean, he just sort of did. If the rescue didn't happen. The story could not proceed. So the feeling of security with which I follow the hero through his perilous adventures is the same as the feeling with which a hero in real life throws himself into the water to save a drowning man or exposes himself to the enemy's fire in order to storm a battery. It is the true heroic feeling, which one of our best writers has expressed in an inimitable phrase. Nothing can happen to me. Uh, and then it's then it's the sentence you read. It seems to me, however, that through this revealing characteristic of invulnerability, we can immediately recognize his majesty, the ego, the hero alike of every daydream and of every story. But it, like it just again, this is another one of these things where he can't mean that. Like it, like right. he he or later or certainly after the drive, like wouldn't wouldn't the point wouldn't the point be is that it's it's through the. Um, it's through the main character believing they're a main character that the story happens. Like, and they, they, they have to, they have to sustain it. But like, we, we have to like, like we have to know, like we have to do We, and we got to do a couple things. So they have to blunder into ever increasing danger. If we're going to go with his example, right. But for it to work for us, we have to, we have to uh, disavow that we know that they're the main character or else the arrangement doesn't work. Right. 
So I, I think that there's something because we won't accept that they're in danger. Exactly, and mm. so we was so there's some there, there's a, I think a more complicated thing. Again, he's giving this as the, to to uh, as a as a why as, as a as trying to be as accessible as possible as a as a talk, and and I and I think. You know but that. Just to be fair, Ryan, he says he, go ahead. he's allowed to revise before he publishes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good <laughs> point. No, just, no, no, you know, you're right. You know, yeah. I, I take your point, and I, 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 he was a busy guy, but you know, you are, <laughs> you still are allowed. Uh, yes, you know. No, you're right, and you're allowed to be, and you're also allowed to be complicated in, uh, in uh, that venue as well, if you yeah. want it to be. Uh, like, but, you know, but your but, point is still taken. I, I said no. Yeah, no. It's well, I just think he doesn't like the, it's in this dynamic. That there, that the the reader is doing the reader is doing work, and the writer is doing work, and the character is doing work, and we're in this like we're in, it's not a it's it's not a it's a tri- it's a triangular relationship, right, right, exactly, you, you know, and exactly, I, and, and and so like the and you you have to like I've said this before in the, on the show, and like I like it's I don't know it's it's just very important to me like you have to think it's real. And you have to think they're in peril, and the at the the writing has a a duty to make you think that. And you, but you also have to know, like if you're reading a book, like if you're reading a book and it's called David Copperfield, and you're in the middle and something he's probably not going to die. Happen, it's probably not going <laughs> to die because you're you're hold, you're literally holding in your hands the like the rest of the story. Right. But you just you have to, you have to disavow that, or right. it doesn't work. Right. It's like it it does you gain. Like it really because like you gain nothing by being like so stupid to have that happen at the beginning. It's so obvious he's going to survive. It's like right. like oh great, thank you, internet commenter seven thousand four hundred yeah, twenty-seven. I, like, I wonder what do you think about what do you think about you know people? A lot of people praise the radicality of Psycho because it 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 broke from this armor, mm. right? Like so, Marion seemed sure. to have this character armor, and then she dies a third of the way through the film, and people celebrated that. But I think. I'm it's not, not sure called Marion, though. That's my point. It's not called Marion. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah good point. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I mean, I don't think Freud would, I don't think he would necessarily see anything radical about that because it's, I think, yeah. in fact. He might think of it a violation, actually. Yeah, he might. And, and, and it's interesting, like, even on Hitchcock's terms, right, it's a, it, it surprises us, but there's yeah. no suspense about her. I mean, there is suspense mm-hmm. immediately before she dies. When she turns on the shower, you know something bad's going to happen. Uh, and you know, Anthony Perkins is weird throughout the whole thing. Norman Bates, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's just kind of a false lead. I don't. I'm not sure if I. No, but, it's okay. No, but it's I okay. but I no, do think that yeah. there's. I do think that that is. You're right. It's not called Marion, and there. But I do think. I don't think Freud. I don't think he cares about, I think the point of this section is he doesn't care so much about the twist, right? Like he, no. he yeah. more cares about the revelation of the unconscious, even though that's the word he doesn't use he at doesn't all use. in this, in this essay. I want to say one other thing about this, uh, what he says about fantasy. So th- this is, I, I think this is one of the most conspicuous lines of the essay. Okay. He says, we may lay it down that a, we may lay it down. So it's a very, definitive statement that a, mm-hmm. a happy person never fantasizes only an unsatisfied yes. one. And I've always thought, wow, I can't believe Freud wrote that because he, he has didn't. that. I think Leo Tolstoy wrote that. Leo Tolstoy. <laughs> For anyone that wants to know, that's an allusion to the beginning of Anna Karenina. Uh, 
But really, uh, I, I don't you think he's taking that? I, I kind of think he's taking that like uh, every happy family is the same. Every unhappy family. Yeah, is maybe. Yeah, 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 maybe. Maybe. I mean, I just think it's so wrong, though, because I think yeah. he's just said the like you just read the part. <laughs> he just said that. But the normal. Yeah, you're right. I, yeah, yeah, I know. Keep, you, That's you, my you, point. You like take, he just said that every yeah. normal person shares the same fantasy structure as the neurotic. So what is this only? I mean. The yeah. only the only way you could read that as a Freudian statement is in in reference to studies on hysteria, the last line, where he says, yeah. "We don't want to." The point is not to cure the the neurotic, but to transform historical hysterical misery into common unhappiness. Like that, yeah. like that yeah, would yeah, mean yeah. that there's no such thing as the happy person, right? So, right. I mean, that, right. that's the only way to read that. But I do think that there's a larger issue with this line, and that is that. I I think that, and I think this is the maybe an underlying issue with the essay, that Freud doesn't conceptualize the way that fantasy comes first. Like fantasy, mm-hmm. it's not like I, I I don't think there's any way to think Freud says this at least here that fantasy, and this is what I think is true that first we have a phantasmatic structure, and then mm-hmm. we get, and our social reality is based on that. So it's not mm-hmm. like and then there's, of course, another fantasy, private fantasy where we retreat from that social reality. But I think how we have a reality in common is through a shared fantasy. So I don't mm-hmm, think, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he's too, whatever, literal about reality. I don't yeah. think he yet has, yet maybe he never does, a sense of actually it's fantasy that's productive of reality, that gives us yeah. a sense of reality. And I, I almost mm. would want to say, one thing the great creative writer does is grasp this sense of the collective fantasy that most of us are not aware of, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not, mm-hmm. we think, oh, we're just, just reality. But then they get the real sense <laughs> of the, like, isn't that, isn't that what's great about say sound and the fury? Like he gets that, mm. wait, we're just living out this collective fantasy structure and I'm going to try to mm-hmm. pare it down and give you the basics of it. Or, I mean, Morrison does that all the time, too. You know, like, Beloved is about how to, what's the basic fantasy structure of the, of both the slaveholder and the, and the person, and the slave responding. Like, I think that that's, I think that's what she's, so that's not a, that's not a private fantasy of Morrison's, Mm -hmm. right? In in Mm -hmm. no way. So I think that that's, he doesn't yet or ever maybe get this sense of fantasy as a collective thing that produces social reality. I don't think. I think that my, my supposition on this is that I think he would think anything like what is his relationship with Jung at this time? And what is Jung's notion of the collective unconscious? Yeah. They haven't broken yet. So they haven't broken yet. So yeah. I just kind of wonder if maybe Jung's working on that thing. He'll want to step on toes, but also he knows that he thinks differently about it. Yeah. So 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 any Well, like, collective like fantasy the, isn't collective unconscious, but I see no, where I you're know going. That. I see you where understand you're going. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the I mean, it would I mean, I'm sure to some listeners it probably sounded like very similar, but like yeah. you you know, you know the way, like the way that I have um and maybe this is even not uh not strong enough, but the way that I that I've uh, try to like, explain it to uh, to different people who have you know um, asked 
inquired on this question to me is that like it's the idea for Freud is that like everyone has an unconscious, but like what's there is just not it's it's not the same. Like you 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 know it, the, the, you have to get the unconscious to speak through analysis. It comes out through slips, and it's all like it's referring to a shared structure, but it's not. It's what comes out is not something that's shared. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. something. Yeah, yeah, and I think that for for Jung, it's the it's the opposite. That like it's the the there is this um, it's 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 it's, it's shared content. Yeah, is is is, is what it is. Whereas, no, that's like, absolutely say, right. Right, right, right. Freud, it's it's the form, form. content. Yeah. I think that's. The, yeah. I mean, one could make a whole. We've been asked many times to talk about you in a podcast. But, uh, yeah. One could make a whole. I think we, we, we will. I think we'll probably do Man and His Symbols. I think yeah. that, you and I have yeah. talked about that yeah. before. But yeah. We will do it sometime. But but you could yeah. do a whole thing about the way in which Freud is a figure, thinker of form, and Jung is a thinker of content, right? I think that that's. Yeah. That's I think it's part of why Jung, Jung is more uh, like, so I, I, I mean, I'll give a really great example of this. Like there's a, um, a really well-known now uh, a video game series uh, in the West. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a JRPG. Todd, you know what that is now? I do now. No, um, I don't know what that you is. Do, yes. You do know what that is. I even know what uh, the J called, stands for. You do know the J for, yeah, <laughs> Japanese role-playing game. Yeah. So uh, developed by um, Atlas and uh, the, so it came out of this game series called Shin Megami Tensei, the game series called Persona. And Persona is like, it's just rooted in, it It, it does, it fuses Jung with the tarot. And that's how they do, that's how they do the game. And like, I, you know, no one even really, <laughs> don't even really comments on it. It's like, it's just like, oh yeah, it's, he's doing Jungian uh, mythology or it's, the people even phrase it that way. They don't even say psychoanalysis, but it's like, yeah, it's fusing Jung. It's like, whatever. There's even in, there's the, um, in the uh, the re released version of the fourth game, there's an in game teacher from the third game who you can watch his lectures on Jung, like in wow. the game. It's like it's like yeah, it's really cool. But it's just like there's you know um, I think this is like part of the point is that like the, a lot of the Freudian things are just like lingua franca, so it just seems like you know there's nothing there, yeah. and we we for, we forget we we always yeah. try to to point them out. Mm-hmm. We we tend to forget what are the things that like. Freud was at the like maybe the motor for us understanding more widely. And so I think it just seems I think because Jung is on the side of content, it seems like, you know, there's more there's more there to be creative with. Even that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's right. I think it's right. I think I think Jung seems more fecund for a creative thinker than Freud does. Uh, mm. And and yeah. you know what? Who, who, maybe justifiably with us are saying he's maybe not a good reader in the previous episode. I, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was just going to say. Yeah. I mean, God only knows, right? Like, I don't think that. Like, I think Jung is wrong. God, I almost slipped and said Freud. I think Jung is wrong <laughs> theoretically. Yeah. But I don't think that that means that a creative artist couldn't find more oh, material yeah. in Jung than in Freud. Right, like I think that that's. Dude, I the think, games are great. Like they shouldn't, right, they right. shouldn't be based on Freud. Like, I, like I wouldn't go if I ever got to speak with the the people who made the game. I'd be like, uh, yeah, you know, maybe you should make it Freudian. So yeah, like, no, yeah. it's like it's great. No. It's great what they do. It's fantastic. No, I know. It's it's like it's like. Do you want to, like, oh, let's base a novel on Hegel's uh, phenomena? No, 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 <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah, I think you know if you have a. I can imagine a Bergsonian understanding of the world, which basically is what Proust had, uh, mm-hmm. would make clearly made one of the greatest novels ever written. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's better. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I think, and I think this speaks again to the uh, mystery of the creative process, right? Like it can be, you can be theoretically wrong and be mm-hmm. a greater, greater creative writer than someone that's theoretically right. In fact, I'm tempted to say it's maybe a sine qua non of it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, I, I was wondering about that because I wonder if the if somehow the error is it's the error is productive in a way that truth is not. I mean, that would be a Hegelian mm, idea yeah. in itself. I don't know. It's yeah. just so. But I, I, I mean, just speaking of that, the, the coming back to the Freud essay. I mean, I think his. I think there are some missteps on fantasy, but I also think this is his best articulation of fantasy. What it doesn't do is really connect, show that how the creative act works. But I, I think his point would be no one could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah. So, and, and I think that's probably right. And so what he gets at though, I mean, I think it is this, um, there's just this last line that I wanted to mention that I think speaks a little bit to your point. Good. Is that, Good. Um, how, uh, you know, uh, when a creative writer presents his plays to us or tells us what we are inclined to take to be his personal daydreams, we experience a great pleasure and one which probably arises from the confluence of many sources. How the writer accomplishes this is his innermost secret. The essential ars poetica lies in the technique of overcoming the feeling of repulsion in us, which is undoubtedly connected with the barriers that rise between each single ego and the others. And I love this, this idea of like repulsion, this like, like someone should be, uh, a, like someone else's, I mean, we said this earlier, someone else's fantasies and someone else's like, like someone else laying bare their fantasy structure should be repulsive to us, but there, it should be uncanny, but, uh, and maybe it is, but it, it nonetheless, like there we is a, it, it, yeah. And there is pleasure. I think maybe that, that would be the way to combine the two essays is it is uncanny to see someone else's fantasy structure laid bare. And because it's uncanny, it yields the, the pleasure. Right. Like that might right. be, you know, and I well, think I wish he said with, that. Right. I think that uh, that's really well, yeah, good. That right. Like, because yeah. it really, because we see ourselves at home in the homelessness, right. Or in the, in the, yeah. in the outside of our home, that that's the, that, that is the uncanny right. experience that that's where we get the pleasure. Yeah. I like yeah. that a lot. And because the, and because the writer can't really know, how that's why like it's his innermost secret like the, you 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 can have your process of how you put the words down yeah. but like the the actual like the uh, like you know like Charlie Chaplin stuck in the in the gears right in modern times like that that actual you know uh negotiation of like of of ideas of experience yeah. and like extract yeah. like that that is a mystery even even to, to you to you the know? artist uh, her yes, himself to the artist. right i think that's right yeah. i think that's right yeah. that that that, yeah. that you can't that's why the artist is the worst interpreter of their own, of their own work. I think that that's, that's <laughs> yeah, a given. Typic- well, sure. typically it's, I, yeah, like some, like I love commentary tracks, It's but they're very few that are like really good. Like it's a usually like if, um, like, I, like I, you, we talked one time, a long time ago about the, uh, David Fincher's The Game, which is like a movie I really, I like. Yeah, a lot. I like it and, a lot. Yeah. And I got the Criterion edition. I was so excited. And I, like, I, um, I was listening to the to the Fincher's track at the at the end, and he he says like you know somebody asked uh, he was asked one time like how uh, how did this movie uh, develop and then and he starts to explain like you know you have an idea for it and then uh, you you get you get a list of you know you get people who are gonna be 
the actors and, and then, you know, you get who you're going to work with the producer. And he ends up just describing how a movie is made <laughs> is, is how he got, is how the idea for the movie. And I was just That's like, funny. it was really funny. Was, and, and I, and I think it's not cause he was bad at explaining it. I, I think it's not explainable. This is not, explainable. you know, yeah. there, there, yeah. there is a level you can't explain how a movie's made, but I don't think you can explain like exactly where, that's why, you know, you always see this in interviews where, where people are like, how'd the idea come to you? And almost all the time, like writers or directors tell you where they were, like what they were right. doing right. instead. Or it's like, well, I was on vacation. I was right. at the, and it's like, that's not actually. Yeah. But I, I think it's inexplicable. Asked. I think it's inexplicable. Yeah. 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 So Freud good, points us there. It's a good point yeah. to end on the inexplicable. So what, what, what is the lesson, Ryan? We have a lot of possibilities. We got a lot of possibilities. Um, I think we haven't done Eraserhead, I and I like it. I know. <laughs> do Can you, I tell you a funny? I'm going to. I'm glad you picked Eraserhead, and I'm going to. I'm okay. going to tell you a funny Eraserhead story to conclude. All right. Okay. So, uh, right. two nights ago, I was on the way to see Joyride, which I would not recommend. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I was in a convenience store getting some convenient things to take into the movie theater with me. <laughs> right. And. Uh, the the convenience store man who was about I don't know six five huge guy and mm. had tattoos all over himself and and mm-hmm. you know he, all and he I'm like okay he's whatever I'm you know no judgment and he looks at me he's like he's like uh, wow awesome movie and I'm like <laughs> I'm like really I said well which one's your favorite and I was just my little test I thought he's yeah. gonna say like whatever. he goes well tough to say, but right now it has to be fire walk with me. And I'm like, wow. I said, you just passed that test fully, man. <laughs> and, uh, but it was just really funny that the, this, you know, it's not, he was the only person I've worn, I've worn that shirt, I don't know, 20 times something. And I've never had a single person comment on it, even Did though I've worn it. The shirt? What? Did you mention the shirt previously and I missed it? I'm so sorry. If I no, did. I don't think I've ever yeah. mentioned it. No, no, no. Okay. No, but I'm just saying I've, I've worn it out mm-hmm. and I've never, yeah. I don't think I've taught in it, but I've worn it out and I've never had a person say anything. And this was the first time. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But the one person said yeah. something, his favorite film was Fire Walk With Me. But there we go. That's my story. There we go. <laughs> All, right. <Your> story. <laughs> All right. Over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd. <laughs>